Welcome back to the Evidence-Based Rheumatology Podcast. This is Episode 4, Myeloablative Autologous Stem Cell Transplantation for Severe Scleroderma, the SCOT Trial. This was published by Sullivan et al. in the New England Journal of Medicine, January 4th, 2018. Tonight, there is actually a great discussion on the Room Journal Club Twitter feed. They're at RoomJC, and I'd encourage anyone who's listening to this to go back, take a look what they had to say, and subscribe to their feed as well. We are also on Twitter, so please come subscribe to our feed at EBRoom. With that said, let's get to it. For those who have treated scleroderma, you know this is a hard disease to treat. There are not very many options, patients have a high morbidity and a high mortality. Currently, we treat patients with cytoxin and cellcept. Cytoxin was covered in the scleroderma lung study number one. We'll talk about that someday. It did show benefit over placebo for cytoxin, but it wasn't very inspiring. In scleroderma lung study number two, they showed non-inferiorative cellcept to cytoxin, but again, that's not very inspiring. At Northwestern, we do a non-myeloblative stem cell transplant. There are two randomized controlled trials that demonstrated benefit for this, but they had a high morbidity in the transplant group, and there were concerns about durability, so it didn't really catch hold at large. In my experience, it's also an issue of timing. When patients present with minimal symptoms, stem cell transplant would be pretty aggressive. Once they're sicker, they're just not strong enough to handle the protocol. With that background, let's talk about what these authors did. This was an open-label, randomized controlled trial at 26 sites. It would put an autologous stem cell transplant against cytoxin. The stem cell transplant group got ablation with 120 milligrams per kilogram of cytoxin. That's a lot of cytoxin for a rheumatologist. For reference, I'm used to giving something like 10 milligrams per kilogram. They also got 800 of total body radiation and equine antithymocyte. They then received CD34 stem cells, granulocytes, colony stimulating factor, steroids, and prophylaxis against the usual infections that we see in these patients. The cytoxin group got 500 milligrams per meter squared of cytoxin, followed by 750 milligrams at a standard dose every month for 11 months. That's actually quite a lot of cytoxin as well. That is more than I would generally give for a patient who has lupus nephritis. The participants were adults they met the 1995 criteria for scleroderma, and they had pulmonary ILD by imaging or bronchoscopy and a DLCO or FVC less than 70%, or they had renal involvement, such as prior scleroderma renal disease. That means that everyone in this trial had either ILD or renal involvement. The exclusions were gastric antrolectasias, a DLCO less than 40%, an FVC less than 45%, an LVEF less than 50%, creatinine clearance less than 40, pulmonary arterial hypertension, or greater than six months of cytoxin. These are relatively strict inclusion criteria when you think about it. To get into this study, a patient had to have, if they had pulmonary involvement, ILD with DLCO or FVC less than 70%, but it had to be greater than 40 or 45%, so it's something of a narrow window. They also had to have prior renal involvement, but their creatinine clearance had to be over 40. And then on top of that, they couldn't have any issues with their heart, their EF had to be greater than 50%, and they couldn't have pulmonary arterial hypertension, which often goes along with the ILD. You can see how this was a relatively tightly selected criteria, even though they did wind up broadening it. 
I call this something of a Goldilocks zone study, where patients couldn't be too sick, but they had to be sick enough. Makes it hard when you're trying to extend this patients in clinic, because they have to be sick, but not too sick. The primary endpoint was a global rank composite score at 54 months. This should give you immediate pause. This global composite score is not a validated outcome for scleroderma. More importantly, it's not actually the original outcome they planned to use. The trial was initially powered to use 226 patients and use event-free survival as the outcome. That's a much more typical patient-centered outcome than this global composite score. That doesn't mean that the global composite score is wrong. It had a lot of good patient-centric outcomes. It included death, event-free survival, FVC, change of 10%, a hack di change of 0.4, and a modified Ranson skin score, improvement of 25% from the baseline score. But again, this is the kind of thing that should give you pause. They did it out of necessity because of issues with accrual. Secondary outcomes included various components of this global composite score, such as death, progression-free survival, etc. They also looked at a variety of different adverse events. Apart from those shenanigans, the statistical analysis was broadly appropriate, so I'd like to move into talking about the study itself. They screened 205 patients, 75 of whom underwent randomization. Patients were mostly female, in their 40s, white, never smokers, with a modified Ranson skin score around 30. That's pretty bad for those who don't know scleroderma well. Almost all had lung involvement, with a mean DLCO of 53%. That was almost by definition. Again, remember, you had to have lung involvement or a kidney involvement that wasn't that bad to get into the study. The cytoxin group had a few more female non-smokers, making it probably a healthier cohort, as well as more patients who had previously used cytoxin. Ultimately, 34 patients were initiated in mobilization in the transplantation group, 33 of whom were transplanted, 27 completed the trial, there were 3 deaths and 6 withdrawals. 37 initiated treatment in the cytoxin group, 32 received 12 doses, 16 completed the trial, there were 11 deaths, and 9 withdrew. They go on to explain that they met the primary endpoint with a bunch of gobbledygook. Out of 1,404 pairwise comparisons, 67% favored transplant versus 33% favoring cytoxin. Kind of hard to explain that to a patient. More to the point, as far as death is concerned, 28% of patients in the transplant group versus 51% of patients in the cytoxin group died. To be fair, that was not statistically significant. P-value was 0.06, so it's just over the arbitrary value of 0.05 that we signify for statistical significance. Deaths came from respiratory, renal, and cardiac failure. As far as all-cause mortality, it was 17% in the transplant group versus 28% in the cytoxin group. Again, p-value was 0.28, not statistically significant. Hard not to hold the authors accountable for this. This is why you power studies for legitimate outcomes. That would have been a 23% absolute risk reduction, or a number needed to treat of just over 4. That is pretty, pretty impressive. Unfortunately, you just can't quite hang your hat on that. They also did a per-protocol analysis, uh, and death by respiratory renal or cardiac disease in the per-protocol analysis was 21% versus 50%, with a p-value of 0.02. Now that you can hang your hat on. Again, that's a 29% absolute risk reduction, which equates to a number needed to treat of just over 3. 
To be fair, most consider an intention to treat analysis to be the strongest way to look at data. Now, there are some concerns about that that I can share at a later episode. Ultimately, the per-protocol analysis says who got transplant and who didn't, and how did they do, which is not entirely unfair. In broad terms, an intention-to-treat protocol says who did we plan to give transplant to, who did we plan to give cytoxin to, and then analyzes them as if that was what happened, even though there may be some crossover between the groups, or in this case, a different rate of PEEP dropping out. At six years out, event-free survival was 74% in the transplant group and 47% in the cytoxin group. That was statistically significant, and overall survival was 86% in the transplant group and 51% in the cytoxin group. Again, that's a number needed to treat right around three, which again is very impressive. There were a couple important limitations to this study. The first being the one that I said at the beginning. This is kind of a Goldilocks trial. You needed bad ILD. Your FEC or DLCO had to be under 70%, but it couldn't be too bad. Or you needed kidney involvement, which tends to be serious in scleroderma, but your creatinine clearance had to be over 40. Patients in this study had a modified Ranson skin score of around 30, which is pretty high, but they also didn't have pulmonary arterial hypertension, nor did they have any effects on their left ventricular ejection fraction. Again, that's a very self-selected patient. Another major critique of this study is that they just didn't power it correctly. Well, they did power correctly, but for no fault of their own, they had trouble hitting their numbers, so they wound up having to adjust it. I would have liked to have seen the original analysis done, but it's hard. It's hard to get patients that match these criteria to get enough to run the study. People did well from the transplant perspective. That's actually an issue with this study. They did way better. If you look at some of the other studies that were done on scleroderma, the ASTIS trial in 2014 and the ASSIST trial in 2013, both of which were done on lymphoablative stem cell transplants, they had a transplant-related mortality of 10% and 6%. In this study, we only had 3% transplant-related mortality. You wonder if we expanded this to other centers if you'd see a higher mortality in the transplant group. Finally, this is a question I've always had about these protocols. What actually helped? Patients got stem cell transplant, but they also got a lot of cytoxin. And they also got a lot of radiation. You wonder which of those was necessary, which of those drove the benefit. And if one of them was unnecessary, or one of them solely drove the benefit, why are we doing the others? In conclusion, after years of relatively ineffective therapies and slow advancement, for patients with severe scleroderma, we finally have a new possible option. It's unclear how this will hold up in general practice, unclear how strong it is for some of our more meaningful endpoints, and many patients will either be too sick or too healthy to qualify, so appropriate patient selection will be huge. That being said, if you have a patient with severe scleroderma from ILD or prior renal disease, and if you practice or can refer the patient to a transplant center that can do this kind of stem cell transplant, and does so in a high enough volume to make it safe, it's probably a good idea to send them there. That's it for this study. We're now on Twitter, so please sign up to follow us at ebroom, and feel free to tweet us your thoughts on the trial. Next week, we'll be back to discuss a small study on initiating urate-lowering therapy that has had a big impact on my practice. Thanks so much for tuning in. Talk to you again next week.